am especially happy uh, to talk with you all about a subject that I think uh, uh, is just now being admitted by so many people. Uh, I, I remember when I was a young Christian here in the U.S. and uh, people just didn't talk about their doubts. If they did, they talked about it as something from the past. Um, but uh, I think now more and more people are, are saying, no, this is part of life and this is part of faith. And my doubts won't hurt me as much as keeping my doubts a secret or being afraid to admit my doubts will hurt me or pretending that I don't have doubts will hurt me. And so um, uh, I'd like to uh, talk about faith, uh, faith after doubt. Good morning, friends. Welcome to The Well. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're our guest, and we're glad you're here. And if you'd like to let us know, just text the word WELCOME to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with a digital connect card. Just tell us about yourself, and you'll get more information about The Well. Thanks for being with us today, and Happy Easter. Thank you for joining us here on this, this Resurrection Day, Easter Sunday at The Well. We appreciate you celebrating Easter with us. And and our series during Lent this year, which is a season leading up to Easter, was based on a book by Brian McLaren called Faith After Doubt, Why Your Beliefs Stopped Working and What to Do About It. And so the sermons coincided with the book. We had an online connect group of people from different parts of the country discussing their reading. And I was going to give kind of your typical Easter Sunday sermon today, but a few weeks ago I decided to call an audible and I, I wanted to see this study that we've been in, Faith After Doubt, in the light of Easter, because the Easter message says something profound to those of us who are, who are in, a, in a place in our spiritual journey where we have questions and doubts, and maybe we're not sure where they're going to lead. For some of us, it's, it's a painful emotional experience. It involves our relationships, and maybe we, we feel awkwardness now with friends and family who have different beliefs than we have, and they just don't approve of where we are and, and the, the Easter story means something profound and, and hope-giving to those of us who find ourselves in, in that kind of a place in our spiritual journey. And so today is going to be, yes, the Easter message, but tied into this study of the book, Faith After Doubt. So Brian McLaren wrote this book because 65 million adults in the United States have dropped out of active church attendance and about 2.7 million Americans leave church every year. Now, maybe you can identify with why somebody would exit church or exit their faith altogether. Perhaps they had questions and doubts that they knew they couldn't say out loud in their church environment. It wasn't a safe place to do that, and so they left. Or perhaps they've had it with hypocrisy. Perhaps they or somebody they love is a member of the LGBTQ community, and they knew that no matter what the sign said about all or welcome, that it wasn't true, and there was a bait and switch, and they found out that they're not really welcome or that their loved one isn't really welcome. Maybe they were embarrassed by the anti-science stance that a lot of self-professing Christians have taken, especially during climate change and during a pandemic, and there's this anti-intellectualism that runs in some parts of American Christianity, and Perhaps they've seen this, this weird fusion of religion and politics to the extent that there, there seem to be some Christians who are, who are identifying with authoritarian political movements, nationalistic movements. We've heard this term, white Christian nationalism, 
where there is this, this bizarre uh, fusion of Christianity and white supremacy and nationalism, believing that God gave this country to white Christians and everybody else is a second-class citizen. I mean, it's, it's so strange. We're, we're having to say things like that out loud now because there are so many people who seem to believe this and are, are, are driving you know, our situation in America right now. And so you can see why so many people have exited church or maybe chucked their faith altogether. And in this book, Brian McLaren proposes a four-stage model of spiritual development from simplicity. Everything's black and white and authoritarian. And I just believe whatever a pastor tells me or a politician tells me to stage two complexity where I see some gray now, but I'm still pretty much pragmatic and I'm not really questioning things that much. And then there's stage three perplexity. And that's what some people call deconstruction when, when, when folks really get honest about their questions and doubts and they start to question everything. And, and for some people, that's the, that's the off ramp when they exit church or they exit their faith altogether. And then Brian talks about, for those who want to go farther, stage four, harmony. And so we've talked about what harmony means. And last week we interviewed Brian McLaren, the author of the book, about, about harmony. And so today we're talking about harmony for all of us as a civilization and then harmony for us personally. So that's where we're headed today in our Easter message. Now, I have a confession to make here, and this is a terrible thing for a pastor to say. I didn't really get Easter when I was growing up. Isn't that terrible for for a pastor to say that? I I didn't really understand the meaning of Easter and why people celebrated Easter. And here's what I mean. I would go to church with my grandma and my my mom when I was just when I was little and and they would sing triumphant songs about he is risen and, and joy and everything's changed. You know, the message was that Jesus has defeated evil and, and everything has changed now and nothing will ever be the same and and that we're thankful that everything changed at Easter and, and then and then I went home and I I discovered that the world was every bit as messed up after the Easter service as it was before. And I didn't really understand what they meant by everything changed at Easter. Jesus defeated evil because evil seemed to be just as powerful as before. And I just didn't understand the Easter message that I heard. Now, I suppose that means I had questions and doubts about Easter. But I now understand Easter to mean something different and and something for me much more profound when it comes to thinking about our spiritual journeys, especially those of us who, who... are in a place where we're honest about our questions and doubts. And the Easter story means something different to me and much better and more exciting to me than it did then. So Brian writes a chapter in this book, Faith After Doubt, entitled A Civilization in Doubt. And he makes the point that we as a people seem to be living in an age of perplexity. The world has changed so much, even in the past 100 years. Years and, and we're not really sure what to believe about anything. We, we're living in a time in which the world is shrinking and we have all the information in the world at our fingertips and our phones and, and we have exposure to, to different ideas and, and, and for some of us, we've become disappointed or disillusioned in religious leaders and in political leaders and in institutions that used to be respected. We've just been let down too many times and 
Um, it feels like our society is coming apart at times. We're bombarded with propaganda. We saw the bizarre response to the pandemic in, in which masks and vaccines became these politically divisive litmus tests. And, and we hear about abuse scandals in church and, and we're aware of different beliefs and assumptions about the meaning of life. And, and, and many people just live a materialistic, hedonistic life where the goal is just to, to get to an ever, ever larger house and ever cooler cars without really thinking about what any of it means or what our purpose is. And, and we are a civilization in doubt. We just don't know what to believe or what the meaning of life is. And, and Brian writes that we're experiencing right now the different responses that people have to this confusion, this, this perplexity. Society's changed so much. And Brian writes about our, our national leaders and, and corporate titans and, and politicians. And he, he writes this, at this moment, they seem so afraid of the self-examination and self-doubt of stage three perplexity that they are choosing to double down, often reverting to authoritarian simplicity, circling their wagons behind demagogues and their stage one fundamentalism, whether nationalistic, economic, religious, or worse still, a fusion of the three. A few of you here at the church sent me a, an article in the New York Times recently called The Growing Religious Fervor in the American Right. And the subtitle was Rituals of Christian Worship Have Become Embedded in Conservative Rallies as Praise Music and Prayer Blend with Political Anger Over Vaccines in the 2020 Election. And this article opens up with a scene from a political rally in Phoenix. In, in, in which there was this mixture of religion and politics to the extent that this political rally looked like church. And they write, they opened with an invocation, summoning God's hedge of thorns and fire, not sure what that means, to protect each person in the dark Phoenix parking lot. They called for testimonies, passing the microphone to anyone with inspirational words that they'd like to say on behalf of our J6 political prisoners, referring to people who were arrested in the January 6th attack on the Capitol that they were honoring in this rally. And they, they sang a hymn together. And, and then the authors of the article write, this was not a church service. It was worship for a new kind of congregation, a right-wing political movement powered by divine purpose, whose adherents find spiritual sustenance in political action. We don't know what November of this year will hold. We don't know what November of 2024 will bring. We can't predict the future. We know that we're living in a time of anxiety and fear. We're living in a time of worrisome economic indicators and a dangerous situation in Ukraine and, and an uncertain future. And all of these problems will continue to exist after this Easter service today. But what I've learned in my own spiritual journey is that over time, Easter does change some things. Some things can be different because of Easter. And so a few weeks ago, I shared a little bit about my own journey. I, I grew up in a, in a conservative Christian environment in stage one simplicity. Everything was black and white, most things, and, and there were easy answers, and, and televangelists were on in my home every day, and and, and then I had this crisis of faith in my 20s where I started to question some of the basic 
beliefs of Christianity that I had been taught. And, and right around the time I got married in 2008, I freaked my poor wife out by telling her, you know, I, I have so many questions, I'm not sure I can even remain a pastor anymore. And that's what I did for a living. I mean, I got married and then a, few, a couple of months in, not long in, I was honest with my wife about my questions. And I just don't know if I can do this anymore as I had this, this crisis of faith, and, and it was a painful time. And since then, my wife has gone through her own crisis of faith, but, but it was a painful journey that lasted several years. And it wasn't just intellectual questions like we talked about a few weeks ago. It, it was emotional. It was painful. I, I, was, I was angry. I felt lied to. I felt betrayed by some people. I wondered what had my life been like had I not been exposed to religious fundamentalism? Would, would things have been different or better in my life? I mean, I questioned everything. And a few years went by and I decided, you know, as I shared a few weeks ago, that, that I could remain a pastor, but my faith was completely different than it was before. And then I, my wife and I moved out here from Ohio and, and we started a church called One Church that was for people who were having that same kind of spiritual journey and people who, who didn't have to pretend that they, were, that they were in a certain place in their spiritual journey, but they could just be honest and be who they were and explore. One of the things that changed for me in this process was that I went from, from seeing these you know, stage one simplicity, black and white answers, and, and believing that I had to pretend to be certain about those things. I went from that to realizing that what, what Brian calls knowing and not knowing at the same time is possible. That I don't have to pretend to be certain about things that human beings have no way of being certain about. Miracles, the virgin birth, what the afterlife, uh, the afterlife is, is like. That I don't have to pretend that I know things for, for certain that I don't have any way of knowing. Brian calls it here in the book, knowing and not knowing at the same time. And so that was a major change that took place in my spiritual life. I went from believing that every, every, uh, everything was black and white and I had to be certain about my religious beliefs. And then somewhere in that journey, I went to a, a black and white place of, no, I think I just need to chuck the whole thing because I'm not sure what I believe about these things. So I, just, I can't hold on to any of it anymore. And then I finally went to this place Whereas Brian says, I, I felt comfortable knowing and not knowing at the same time. When it came to metaphysical beliefs, holding those with an open hand and realizing they're not the most important part of my faith, actually. They're not even the most important part of what Jesus had to say. Because Jesus said the greatest commandments are love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is what was important to Jesus. The main thing to Jesus was, was love, not believing everything in the bullet point statement of faith on the church website. And so w when it came to anything that, that human beings don't have any way of being certain about, I realized I can embrace knowing and not knowing at the same time. So the world didn't change after every Easter service. But what changed for me was me.
the world didn't change, but I changed because of the message of Jesus, the message of Easter, that Jesus was killed by a domination empire. And, and, and he preached love and it, it, became, it became a threat to the institutions of the time, the religious institutions. And, and even the, the local governor, Pontius Pilate, saw it as a, a, the threat of a riot and creating a movement. And Jesus was put to death. And then the Apostle Paul tells us in the New Testament that the resurrection was God's way of vindicating Jesus. And I realize you, know, you, you may have questions and doubts about the resurrection of Jesus, but the teaching in Scripture is that God vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead, by saying, no, this is the best way to live. Love is the way to live. And that's what the resurrection means. And so the world didn't change after every Easter service that I went to. But over time, I changed. And Brian writes about uh, a couple of people in the book, Rob and Hannah, who shared their own deconstruction and, and perplexity and then moving on to stage four harmony as Brian calls it, where they could embrace this, this knowing and not knowing at the same time. And, and Brian writes that his friend Rob told me that his experience of knowing and not knowing felt like a death and a resurrection. That the old way of viewing things died. His old way of black and white thinking about his faith and believing that he had to pretend to be certain about things he had no way of being certain about, that died but something new was resurrected. The ability to, to embrace knowing and not knowing at the same time. Mystery holding metaphysical claims with an open hand. And the whole time embracing love. And then Brian said uh, his friend Hannah told him that she went through this period of disillusionment and deconstruction in her life. And then she said, love is all I have left. Loving what's left with the time I have left. That's what my life is about. So Easter didn't change the world, but Easter changed them. The message of Jesus didn't take away all the evil in the world around them, but the message of, of, of Jesus put love into their hearts. They changed. Maybe that's the meaning of Easter. The world is not different, but I'm different. I'm more committed to the good, to harmony. I have hope that I can do something to make things better, that I can live a better life, that I can experience more joy and peace and healing in my life. I don't have to be stuck, but I can, I can heal and move farther, and I want to be a part of the solution, and, and, and I can have a new beginning. I can start over. I can have a fresh start in a better spiritual life, in a better life in general, a better marriage, better relationship with my children, and, and, and be a part of, of society in a way that brings goodness and, and joy and peace in a time when we desperately need that in our world. Easter changed me. And it reminded me of a scripture in Philippians chapter 3 where Paul says that we haven't arrived. It's not like you know, the Easter happened, the resurrection happened, and, and, and now we've arrived. But that, no, that's not the message of Easter. But he says we want to press on towards the goal. So Paul writes, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And then in verse 12, 
He writes, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So we follow Jesus. We imitate Jesus. The goal is to become like him in his death and resurrection, to live, like Hannah said, a life of love. And that's what caused Jesus to be crucified. And God vindicated him in the resurrection. We haven't arrived, but we press on toward that goal of imitating Jesus, of following Jesus. Last week, Brian said in his interview that, that the reason he wrote this book was that he felt this need to go farther in his spiritual life, to not just get stuck in stage three perplexity and confusion and, and just think, you know, I, I'm, I've questioned everything and, and now I don't know what's left and, and maybe I just chuck it and kind of live in this kind of perpetual confusion, not knowing at all. And he said he just felt this nudge to go farther, that there's just more, there's something else, there's a, there's a healthier stage in our spiritual development to get to. And, and perhaps the meaning for Easter, uh, the meaning of Easter this year for us is that we can have a new beginning, that we don't have to be stuck, that we can go farther. There is something better. Our, whatever faith we have, whatever our spiritual life looks like, it's going to look different than it did in stage one simplicity. It's going to look different than, than the faith that many of us were raised in. But perhaps the message of Easter this year is that there is something out there farther, better, and we can embrace knowing and not knowing. But we can, as Hannah said, live for love with the time we have left. Now, maybe one of the things that could help us who want to move farther and experience more is learning about people who had similar experiences in life before us. Our spiritual ancestors, people who have gone on before us, who wrestled with questions that maybe surprisingly aren't that much different than ours. And maybe they came up with, with some kind of path that we were not exposed to in our religious upbringing or whatever religious experiences you've had as an adult. Maybe there are things that we haven't learned in, in, in various branches of the Jesus way over the centuries that could, could be perhaps even like the door, the thing that, that helps us to go farther and experience a new beginning in our spiritual lives. So next week, we're starting a brand new series called The Family Tree, The Denominations of Christianity. And I understand like there, many of us are jaded and we, we view the denominations of Christianity like, ooh, ooh, get it away. Like, why would I want to be a part of that? But what we're doing in this series is we are examining the various branches of Christianity over the centuries. And we'll encounter views of God and what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to, be a, to live a spiritual life that are, that are different than what we were exposed to. There are going to be aha moments in this series where you're going to think, I had no idea that there were you know, Christians 500 or 1,000 years ago who thought this or who dealt with this problem or question or doubt. I had no idea. And, and their experience could speak 
to our experience, hundreds of years later, again, it could be the thing that helps you to move farther. And so next week, we're talking about Catholics. And then on, on week two, May 1st, we're talking about Orthodox Christians, 25% of the Christians in the world that are mostly in the Eastern Hemisphere that is different. It's just a different view of God, a different view of the afterlife, a different view of heaven and hell, a slightly different view of salvation than what many of us in Western culture were, were raised with. I mean, learning about orthodoxy alone could open up all kinds of new doors in your spiritual life. Then on May 8th, Anglicans and Methodists, May 15th, Lutherans and Presbyterians, May 22nd, Baptist, Anabaptist, and Pentecostals, and then May 29th, non-denominational Christianity, including churches like the Well, who want to be a new kind of, of faith community for people who do want to be honest about their questions and doubts, thinking people who do want to follow Jesus. Jesus. And so next week, we're starting this brand new series that could be the next step for many of us to help us go farther in our spiritual lives. So a great example of someone who, who was honest about her questions and doubts, who went through a crisis of faith and then, and then experienced a new and different and, and resurrected different kind of faith is Rachel Held Evans. Rachel was a, a New York Times bestselling author and speaker uh, who grew up in Dayton, Tennessee, the site of the Scopes Monkey Trials in the 1920s. It was the epicenter of, of the, the debate between creationism and evolution. And, and her first book, Evolving in Monkey Town, was about moving from you know, pretending to have religious certainty about every belief to a faith that accepts questions and, and doubts and, and and then her second book, A Year of Biblical Womanhood, uh, was a, it's, a, it's a funny book about how she spent a year of her life taking the Bible literally and everything it says about women. And so she found herself sitting on her roof and covering her head and calling her husband master. And the whole point of it was to, was to uncover how so many people who claim to take the Bible literally don't. And, and acknowledging the cultural gap between our time and the time that the biblical books were written in. And, then, and she garnered national attention. She was on the Today Show and she wrote for the Washington Post and, and became a, a well-known figure. And then she died suddenly in 2019 uh, from an allergic reaction to a medication. And that was a shock to, to everybody in, in our spiritual community and, and communities like this who valued Rachel Held Evans so much. But a pastor named Mike Slaughter interviewed Rachel in 2014. It's a, it's a three-minute clip um, about how she dealt with doubt. And especially, she talks about the resurrection and what, what Easter means to her now. And I, I just thought that it was a perfect way to, to end this sermon today and hold up how the message of Easter doesn't mean that everything in the world has changed, but it means that I've been changed. And so let's watch this, this three-minute clip from an interview in 2014 with Rachel Held Evans. Now, you grew up in a church that you became kind of disillusioned with, mm -hmm. right? Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Well, I mean, like a lot of folks, I, you know, and I grew up in a, in a wonderful church environment, and 
Um, you know, for all of my differences with evangelicalism, I still love that community and still feel very much a part of that community. And so I was very well loved growing up by my parents and by my church. But when I was in college, I just started to have first some uh, questions about the notion of heaven and hell and who went there. And, and uh, you know, is being a Christian just about not going to hell? And um, does hell exist? Is hell real? Does this mean that folks who never even heard about Jesus Christ, did they all? I mean, so questions about hell really triggered for me in a crisis of faith where everything was sort of up for grabs and where I was questioning everything. And it became pretty clear that church wasn't a very safe place to ask those questions. And instead of sort of listening to those questions and engaging them, I was often told, you're losing faith. Just pray more. Just read your Bible more. That'll fix it when really I needed some space to wrestle and grow and I needed some people to say I don't know when they didn't know. And that's one thing I'm really grateful. My father is a theologian. You know, he knows the, back, the Bible backwards and forwards. And, but he never, if I had a question he didn't know the answer to, he was always willing to say I don't know and kind of give me the space to wrestle with it. And I didn't feel that in church. In church, I felt like we were supposed to be answer people, not question people. So what does that do for somebody like me who's a doubter, who naturally has questions about everything and doesn't always know the answer to them? Uh, so yeah, it became frustrating to be part of a church where I felt like the questions I had weren't welcome or were treated with fear and some disdain. And so that led to some questioning and exploring about what it means to be part of the church too. You've told me you have doubts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, what do you doubt? Well, I mean, what's the hard part for you? Oh my goodness, where to start? Okay. I, I mean, most a lot of this is really hard to believe, and oftentimes I think all this resurrection stuff, we made it up because we're afraid of death, and this solves that problem. Um, so I have a lot of doubts, and I doubt when I see people who, you know, claim to be Christians not behaving like Christ. I doubt when uh, the more I learn about science and our place in the universe, I wonder where does God fit into all of this. So my doubts are a pretty consistent part of my faith. Uh, but what it comes down to is I recognize that faith is always a risk. Uh, no matter what we believe, there's always the chance we might be wrong. But the story of Jesus is just the story I'm willing to risk being wrong about. It's so compelling and Christ's voice is so compelling to me that I will follow even at the risk of being wrong. What, uh, what does the resurrection mean to you? You mentioned, right. you know, what does the resurrection mean? Yeah, well, I mean, it means a lot of things and, and our hope is, is ultimately in this resurrection. And, but for me, it means that God is in the business of bringing dead things back to life again, that there's never a point at which we are without hope, even when we're in sort of scorched earth territory, even when things are at their very worst, the resurrection means that God can bring even dead things back to life, that um, you know, ultimately our hope lies in a God who is infinitely creative and, and healing, uh, even at the most hopeless point. The world will miss Rachel Held Evans, but in the short life that she lived, she gave us a gift of somebody who could articulate the meaning of Easter, the meaning of a new and different resurrected kind of faith. Once we are willing to get honest about our questions and doubts and go through this painful spiritual journey that's like a death and a resurrection, and Easter can mean something completely new and, and better for us in our spiritual lives. And on page 204 of Faith After Doubt, Brian writes this, Like Rob, his friend that he mentioned, 
May we wake up each day in a world full of wonders rather than a world of answers. Like Hannah, we wake up each day with a passionate mission of love, to love what's left with the time we have left. With more of us experiencing this kind of awakening, our civilization in doubt may stumble its way into harmony. Three steps forward and two steps back, and that it was lured, led, beckoned, and guided all along, not by the invisible hand of the market, which values all things by the measure of money, but by the invisible hand of love. I invite you to pray with me. Oh God, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that you vindicated Jesus and and Jesus' message of love, to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. And the resurrection is like a, the Apostle Paul says, like a deposit, like a, like a guarantee that, that this is the way to live. And that we, when we live this way, we, we in a sense die to the old ways, but we experience a resurrection, a new beginning, a, a new and better way to live. Like Hannah says, to love what's left with the time we have left. And God, Easter didn't automatically change the world around us. There is so much wrong in this world. But Easter changes us. And as Brian writes, with more of us experiencing this kind of a resurrection in our own spiritual lives, seeing faith in a new way, becoming comfortable with knowing and not knowing at the same time, holding things with an open hand, but then embracing certainty about the things we can be certain about, like the need for love, like the need for goodness, like the need for joy and peace and hope and making this world better. And we can experience all of that as we do. God, Easter changes us. And we thank you, especially those of us who have been in a painful journey of questions and doubts, that Easter means for us that we can experience a resurrected kind of spiritual life, something that is new and different, but better than what we experienced before. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen.